Christmas. You know, last week we began our Christmas season, our Christmas series, by looking at the prophecies, one of the prophecies of the of the Christmas time, of the great battle that was has been raging between Lucifer and God since eternity past, and we don't exactly know when it started, but we know it happened and that, that it was brought to earth. And we find ourselves in the middle of this battle today. But see, the prophecy promised that one day there would be a, a, a descendant of Eve who would come, who would right all the wrongs. And that someone was Jesus, and his birth, his death, his resurrection is all part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. So we're, we're just waiting for him to return again and to finish what he had started. What, but he had to take care of sin first, which he did on the cross. And now he's going to come differently. He won't come as a baby in the manger. He will come as a rider of a white horse with a sword. But today I want to look at an amazing part, as I said with the kids' chat, I want to look at an amazing part of the Christmas story, which is the Bethlehem star. The star is probably one of the most recognized symbols when it comes to Christmas. We put it at the top of our tree. We hang, hang, you know, hang them in our windows. We light them up. I mean, how many of you put a star at the top of your Christmas tree? We do. It's the same star we've put up every year. <coughs> we actually, it actually broke one year, so we actually found one that was the exact same kind because it's an old one. I was amazed they still had it. Of course, we can't talk about the star unless we talk about the wise men who came from the east. Why did they come to Bethlehem? Why were, what were they searching for? I mean, these were not Jewish people. These were, you know, these weren't people from that religion. These were wise men from who were probably Muslim or well, not even Muslim because Muslim wasn't around there. They were probably Zoroastrian, Zoroastrian, because they were from the point, that place of in Persia, in in Iraq or Iran. But how did they know about this star? Why did they know that this star was signifying the birth of a king? So we're going to look at the background of the prophecy of the star in the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at the content of that prophecy in the book of Numbers. <coughs> Sorry. And then we're going to look at the fulfillment of that prophecy. So let's begin with the background. This prophecy actually has its beginning in a blessing and a curse. And uh, actually three men. Not the three wise men, but three men. <coughs> it has its start in Abraham, Balak, and Balaam. Well, Abraham we all know. We know Abraham. We know the story of Abraham. But, the, but Abraham had, had gotten many promises from God. God had <coughs> called Abraham out of the area around Babylon. It called him to go to the promised land, to go to Canaan. One of these promises that God had given Abraham can be found actually in Genesis 12.3. This is where the star comes in. If we look at, at what God said to Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God had called Abraham to leave his family, his hometown in <coughs> Ur of the Chaldeans. <clears throat> 
And God was telling him to go a place he'd never been before, to a land that was unknown to Abraham. Along the way, he loses his father. We see in Genesis 12, 1 to 2, that he, that's when he calls him. and says, Now the Lord said to Abram, he had not changed his name yet to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Again, you get to that place where God is telling him, you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, but you're going to be a blessing. We looked at that last week as part of the, uh, the other prophecy. See, in, in the process of Abraham's calling, God uses blessing and curses. In last week's prophecy, we saw that the godly seed of Eden would crush the head of the serpent. This godly seed continues through the line of Abraham. And Abraham's going to become a great nation. And all the world is going to be blessed because of him. And those who bless Abraham will be blessed. And those who curse him will be cursed. This is one of the reasons historically why we as a nation have always supported Israel. If we bless them, we will be blessed. If we curse them, we will be cursed. Now I understand Israel is no longer a religious nation. It is actually a, it's, it's a, their, 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 their leadership is not religious in any way, unless they are personally. It's not a, it's not a theocracy. It's a democracy. So you can kind of question some of the things they do, but understand if we bless the people of Israel, we too will be blessed. God never took this blessing away. Some people believe Today, that the promise of the blessing and the cursing is invalid. So this is Abraham's part of the story. The blessing and the cursing. But let's look at the content of the star. The next character that we encounter in this prophecy is, and we talk about the, the prophecy, the, 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 the content and the history of it, is Balak. Not somebody you normally read about or hear about in Scripture very much, but we encounter him in the book of Numbers. The Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And now God was leading them to the promised land. But in order to get there, they had to travel through certain places that were not exactly friendly to them. One of those nations was Moab. Now, Balak was the king of Moab, and he was afraid of the Israelites. He had heard what the Israelites had done to the Amorites. Uh, if, if you know anything about the history, you know that they, there were certain places God said, I want, you to, I want you, when you go through this nation, I don't want you to bother the people at all. You know, when they get to the place where Esau was, where his descendants were, God says, leave them alone. They are your kindred. Don't fight with your brothers. Leave them, leave them be. But when you get to these people, you need to take care of them because they are sinning. It's a problem. God is using them to punish the people. So it was the Amorites that they utterly destroyed. They killed King Og of Bashan. If you know anything about prophecy in Bashan, Bashan was a nasty place. In fear, Balak contacts a man, or Balak contacts a man called Balaam, a priest. You 
would call him kind of a, you know, we call him kind of a magi. He was, he was an astrologer, astronomer. He was, a, he was very similar to the wise men who will ultimately come to the manger. So he contacts Balaam, and we're going to look at him in a few minutes. But for now, Balak wants Balaam to curse the Israelites. We read about this in Numbers 22. It says, And Moab said to the elders of Midian, remember Midian <coughs> was where Moses' father-in-law was from, the Midianites. <coughs> Pardon me. It says, This horde will now lick up all that is around us. They are afraid the Israelites are going to take everything. As the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amwa, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since you are too mighty for me. They are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know... I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. There's that phrase again. Balaam believes that whoever Balaam blesses will be blessed. Whoever Balaam curses will be cursed. But see, there's a problem. There's a problem because it's not Balaam who makes the blessing and the cursing work. It's, it's not Balaam who's able to do it. It's not because Balaam is some great magician. It's because God allows it to happen. Only God blesses and curses. And God has already promised to Israel that whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. So, if Balak attempts to have the Israelites blessed, or cursed, what's going to happen? The curse is going to come back on him and on his nation. So now we come to the third character. We had Abraham, we had Balak, and now we have Balaam. Now, Balaam is an interesting character. Many of you may remember, you may have heard the story of Balaam and his talking donkey. Balaam had a donkey. And he's riding her. So Balaam is on his way. <coughs> he doesn't want to go. At first, he doesn't want to go and curse them. Because he knows that God doesn't want him to do it. But finally, God says, okay, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and go. And on the way, he's riding his donkey. And the donkey, animals have a, you know, animals have a certain sense about things. They know when something's going on. Um, uh, there's a young man in town, Jeff Trotman, who has epilepsy. And we were sitting in the coffee house. He has a, a, a service dog. I knew I knew there was a problem. He was having a seizure before I looked at Jeff because I could tell his dog was upset and how his dog was acting. Animals know. Well, the donkey knows that there's a problem because the donkey sees an angel in the middle of the road. So she stops. She wants to take care. I mean, she's not going to go. She knows. She can see it. And he's like, what's wrong with you, donkey? Get moving. And he keeps pushing her, and she ends up pushing his leg against the wall. And he gets off the donkey, and he starts beating her. And God opens the donkey's mouth and says, she says, why are you, why are you doing this? 
haven't I, haven't I been your donkey for a long time? I mean, and he just starts talking to the donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but my donkey starts talking. I, I'm going to stop. But here's, when, here's where it says. It says, if in Numbers 22, 28, it says, The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? You know, Balaam had first listened to God, and then God said, go ahead and go. But he, he's like, but God says, you do what I tell you. You say what I want to say. And by the way, Balaam will later come up with an idea on how to actually hurt the Israelites without cursing them. Um, we know that Peter compares false prophets to Balaam. He wasn't a good character. Just because he listened to God does not mean that he was a godly man. Jude echoes that sentiment associating Balaam with uh, the selling of one's soul for a financial gain. Finally, Jesus speaks to Balaam when he warns the church in Pergamum of their sin. Not a good person to emulate. But see, God has a purpose for Balaam. So God's going to allow him to go and ultimately use Balaam to do something much greater than what Balak wants to be done. So he goes with the princes of Moab, but only to say what Yahweh tells him to say. Now, the, the prophecy of the star that we're going to look at is actually spoken by Balaam, and God will use Balaam to deliver some amazing prophecy about the star, about Israel. In the end, Balaam's going to give four prophecies about Israel, each one of them being a blessing. And see, what happens is Balaam keeps saying, no, 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 I don't, don't, don't bless him. What are you doing here? Let me take you to this spot. Maybe from this spot you could do it. So he takes him there, he does it there. He's like, what are you doing? You're blessing them again. No. And all through that, Balaam's saying, I told you, God, I cannot bless something that God has not blessed, and I can't curse something that God says I can't. Every single time, is a blessing. Balak will tell him in Numbers 23, Numbers 23, 8, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? Balaam knows. And how can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? I mean, it's, it becomes rather comical. It's a comical scene. <coughs> Balak keeps taking Balaam to different places. Doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And Balak becomes more and more frustrated with Balaam. Ultimately telling him, fine, go away. Don't you say another word. Because he knows the minute he says something, it's going to be a blessing. Go away. I'm not paying you what I, we, had, we agreed to be paid. But Balaam is on a roll. And he gives one final prophecy. He can't help himself. He's, the God has been speaking through him, and he cannot help himself but to do one more. And we see that in verse 17 of Numbers 24. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Now, <clears throat> let me just begin with that last word. 
Sheth. Struggled with that. Did a bunch of research on it. Sheth and Seth are spelled the same and pronounced the same. So there's not some other guy out there named Sheth that we need to find in Scripture. It's basically saying that he'll break down all the sons of man, all the descendants of Adam and Eve. So Balaam sees someone. He sees someone, but he can't quite see them. He doesn't see him now. He sees him, but not now. He's, he beholds him, but he's not near. Not yet. So this person is going to be on the scene sometimes later, sometime later, much later. He sees a star coming out of Jacob. Jacob is used many times in Scripture to signify Israel. Jacob was what his name was, and God ended up changing it to Israel. So when we see Jacob, we, we must think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The star is a reminder of God's promise to Abraham. That's what I talked about with the kids in Genesis 15.5. God brings Abraham outside. He says, look, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we look at that today and we think about that. And we're like, well, there are not many stars out there. You, you just, you can't, you know, you don't, can't see much. But then when we were camping down at the state park, and you walk over by the bathroom and you look up in the stars, you can see the Milky Way. There was a scientist who had Hubble Space Telescope time, and he actually he was the head of it, and he was wanting to point it at this one space where it was close to the Big Dipper, and there was nothing there. We couldn't see anything. And everybody's telling him, what are you, you're a fool. Why are you wasting this time on the Hubble? Well, he, he was the head of the head of the team at that time, so he could do whatever he wanted. So he would spend 20 minutes, taking 20 minutes of pictures from that space. And when he got the processing of the pictures done, there were thousands of galaxies and stars in that blank space. I believe Abraham saw millions and millions of stars. There's no way he could count them. We have too much light pollution here today to really to actually get a feel for what he saw. But there was <coughs> one star that's going to shine brighter than all the other offspring of Abraham. And that's Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does is Jesus, uh, he actually combines the messianic prophecies and the root of David and the star. And we see that in Revelation. Revelation 22 says, I Jesus has sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the Messiah, basically. I am the bright morning star. That's the star that Balaam saw. Then he sees a scepter. A scepter is a, a, a symbol of authority. When you would come into the king's <coughs> chamber, his throne room, if he wanted you to speak, he'd give you his scepter, and you were allowed to speak. This, too, is very messianic language and goes back to the book of Genesis. Jacob is dying. And what does he do? He calls his sons to him, his 12 sons to him. And he speaks a prophecy over each of them. In verse 49, 10, 
of Genesis, he speaks to Judah, who was who was he was it was very important. Each one of his children had a different prophecy spoken over them. It says here in 49:10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. See what this prophecy has done that that Israel, that, that Jacob is speaking over Judah, it's narrowing down the family tree on where the ruler, where the Messiah can come from. I, I don't know how many of you have done your family tree, but you, <coughs> you look and you see how you're related to everybody. And, you know, I just knew all my first cousins. Then you find out all your second, third, fourth, fifth cousins twice removed, however that works out. But you can trace your lineage. And that's what this prophecy is doing. It's because remember the Messiah in the first prophecy came from the seed of the woman. So we're talking about it from Adam and Eve. Then it was through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we knew that the Messiah would come. And now God has narrowed it down to one tribe, Judah. The royal line of kings would come from the tribe of Judah, leading to the last and final king, the Messiah, who would rule over all the nations. Now, what's interesting in Balaam's, also interesting in Balaam's prophecy, we have the star, we have the scepter, we also have crushing head. Now, we know from last week we also had a prophecy about a crushing of the head. Balaam sees this coming rule of Israel crushing the head of Israel's enemies. In, Numbers, in verse 17 of Numbers 24, it says, It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Well, God had told Abraham, Anybody who curses you will be cursed. So Moab had tried to curse Israel. But Moab will receive the curse instead. Of course, again, it makes us reflect back on last week's prophecy in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between, he's speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. And then he it switches to a singular. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, in, in the Moabites and Balak attempting to curse Israel, he is showing they're showing that they are the offspring of the serpent. So their head will be crushed. And Balaam has now confirmed that prophecy. So here's what we got. The star, the scepter, are the future king of Israel from the tribe of Judah who will bring victory over Israel's enemies and will ultimately bless the nations. <coughs> and now we have the fulfillment we see Matthew 2 that wise men from the east see a star and they come to Jerusalem. Matthew 2, 1 to 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, why did they stop in Jerusalem? Well, obviously Jerusalem's the capital. Where else would the king be born? In the palace, right? They're saying, well, why isn't he here? And why aren't you guys why aren't you guys celebrating? You got a new king. But how did they know? Why were they coming? Well, see, these wise men had access to the Old Testament scriptures. 
they had access to the Pentateuch. Five first five books of the Bible. Now, how did they get that? Well, remember, when Babylon attacked Israel and captured Jerusalem, they took the, Jerus the, the, the best and the best of Jerusalem, of the Judahites, and took them captive back in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know those stories. Well, they would have, been, they would have taken their scriptures with them. Because the Babylonians didn't just conquer and destroy. The Babylonians conquered and absorbed. So they would conquer and they would absorb all of the information, all of the knowledge of the people they had, they had, they had conquered. So they had the writings of the prophets. They had the Old Testament, first five, at least the first five books of the Old Testament. They had Balaam's prophecy. Speaking of Daniel, what about Daniel? It says in Daniel 2.48, it says, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and, and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now these wise men, chances are, were of the tradition of wise men that Daniel was head over. God's a planner. See how he puts these things in place? He makes Daniel the head of the wise men. Later, wise men will come <coughs> to worship Christ. It is very possible that these wise, the gifts that the wise men brought were actually from Daniel's estate. It's very possible. So they're familiar with Balaam's prophecy. So they see a star or a conjunction of planets. There's a lot written on this. I'm not a whole lot of time to go through it. If you're interested, I can send you a paper by Dr. Heiser where he talks about it. But how um, a lot of studies have been done on what happened because computers now can go back to the date that they think Jesus was born, which was not zero, December 25th on zero BC, AD, whatever you want to call it. Chances are the most, opt, the most um, believed date that Jesus was born was September 11th of 3 BC. Yeah, September 11th, which is odd. A whole other, other way to go. But they take the computer back and they can actually look and see what the stars were like in Jerusalem, what the sky was like in Jerusalem on 3 BC of September, 30, or September 11th. And you have a conjunction of, of um, constellations that come together. And the planets, a couple planets that are in there that come together. A sign. Or it could have been a comet. All we know is that they follow something. So they come to Jerusalem to find the one, the king born, born king of the Jews. But instead, they encounter a king, Herod. And we talked about his encounter with them last week because he ends up sending his army when he, they fool him to kill all the babies, all the children two years and younger in Bethlehem. But ultimately, the wise men make their way to the child in Bethlehem. Matthew 2, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. On seeing the child, they know. They know it's him. And they bow down and they worship. The gifts they bring are fit for a king. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Usually frankincense and myrrh were used for <coughs> either body to make things smell better because things didn't always smell so great or they were used for embalming when somebody died. So here we have them honoring the king. So we have the scepter, part of the prophecy, the Messiah, king, born in the line of Judah, who will rule over the nations. And as we saw back in our look at the background of the prophecy, all of this goes back to the promise given by Yahweh to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see a very similar prophecy in Isaiah. We haven't obviously gotten this far yet, but we will get to this. Isaiah 60. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The wise men, they were just a little early. It's a partial fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. The other part, where we're all blessed, we are blessed now, but when the final blessing happens, will come when Jesus Christ comes again. The meaning of the star, Jesus the Messiah, has come into the world. The morning star, the bright morning star. He is king, and he will bring victory over our enemies all the enemies of God, and he's going to bless us as nations. Just as the angel says to the shepherds in Luke 2, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for who? All people. See, God had promised Abraham that I'm going to bless the nations because of you. It is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the star is a reminder of the blessing and the cursing. See, before, when God gave Abraham that, that, that prophecy about blessing and cursing, Abraham was the dividing line. If you blessed Abraham, you were blessed. If you cursed him, he was, you were cursed. But now Jesus is the dividing line. Everyone who comes to Christ for salvation will find that blessing. But the star also holds a warning for those who reject Jesus as Savior. See, if you reject Christ, you are now in the enemy of the seed of the serpent. You're in his camp now. And you will come under the judgment of God. You will be cursed. But see, you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, you have nothing to fear. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what do you choose? Do you choose blessing or curses? If we come to Jesus, we experience the blessing of Yahweh. We experience the blessing of that bright morning star. We experience the blessing of Christmas. The blessing of the child in the manger. The blessing of the child at the house that the wise men came and worshipped and brought the gifts for. And the, and the beauty of that, it wasn't just some event that happened and now these wise men go home. I want to tell you, their lives were changed because they encountered Christ. They didn't go back to their old ways, I'm sure. They went, we know they went back a different way, but they, we know that they, they, they don't, you can't encounter Christ and not be changed if you allow him to change you. We have to put our trust in him daily. And see, I think that's why each night we come out, we can see the stars. I know at certain times where Orion is going to be. I know certain times where Cassiopeia is going to be. I know certain times where the Big Dipper is going to be. I know certain times where Draco is going to be. I know certain times where Cephas is going to be. I Obviously, you know, I study stars. I study the constellations. I know where they are in the night sky. I can start with one and I can track. I can tell you that the different stars are. And that's what Christ is for. He says, come to me. Come to me. Follow me. The message of the star is, follow me. Like the wise men did. And you will have blessings. Let's pray. Thank you.